coming up this week off screen Starfleet goes survivalist in Star Trek Beyond we count our man cars with Chevalier Steven Spielberg brings the BFG to life George Galloway details the killings of Tony Blair and we spend some time with Ming of Harlem all those to come and more off screen this is this is off screen off screen The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. So before we start running down the cinematic lineup for this week, then let's uh, let's begin with a look at China, which is fast becoming the world's biggest movie market, as it yes, were. Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, there's a moment during uh, arguably the most popular film of this week, the big mass marketed feature that's out this weekend. Uh, there's a moment between the Paramount logo and the Bad Robot logo, in which you get a new logo for Alibaba Pictures. You know Alibaba, the online retailer. I do. Well, yeah. they've they've I'm gone aware. into they're going to fil- funding films. It seems as well, wow. and they are handling the uh, the Chinese marketing for certain films now for this one particular big sci-fi summer tentpole movie, mm. uh, and it comes as no surprise. I mean, China's been a big thing in films for a long time, you know, long time. Well, at, at least for the last five years, we get to a point now where we're getting some standalone sequels that are going to be made just for China, and that is where I am going with this because what a segue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> because obviously, now you see me two before that even opened, it was announced we were going to get a now you see me three because they were so confident in there's a series or in this. now you see three. Now you see three, yeah. or now you see three me, or now you see me three, because it would have been the. Uh, it yeah, would have, yeah. yeah. So anyway, because the film made so much more money in China than anywhere else, apparently it made sixty million in the US versus about ninety five in China. That's crazy. Which, which, yeah, yeah I mean, go figure. Um, and has it got? Is it Donnie Yen that's in the film? No, Who plays a Chinese character. There is a Chinese character in the film. He's played by an actual star. Yeah, um, a really big Chinese actor whose name escapes me right now. It's definitely not Donnie. Don- Yen, it's though. not Donnie Yen. Okay, Donnie Yen is IP man, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Ip man is he? Ip man, IP man. I say IP man. It oh. could well be Ip man. Could be. Yeah. Uh, well, so now they are repurposing. Now you see me three, and instead they're just going to make a Chinese spin-off, which is going to be a Chinese language film with a Chinese movie star cast yeah. and a Chinese director. But it's going to be written by a Hollywood writer. This is the thing. They are they're co-funding it with uh, Leonis uh, Leonis Pro- uh, Productions in China. So it's a co-production okay. between Lionsgate between uh, them and a Chinese company. It's going to be a Chinese film. It's just going to be written. By a Hollywood screenwriter. Right. That's that's the compromise they've made, and of course that'll make money. It'll certainly make money. Did you know that Now You See Me Two only cost ninety mil to make? Well, when you think about it, it's not really. There's not an awful lot in there. But, there are some big stars, but the big stars in there, Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman, and I've not seen it, but I can tell that they're just not in it for that long. And well, Caine isn't. And yeah. Freeman's kind of more of a sidekick, kind of a. Type. But they just give him like a couple of mil each, and then yeah. I don't think Jesse Eisenberg is asking for that much of a paycheck. I don't think Jesse Eisenberg's worth that much of a paycheck. I think he's happy to but... just cycle around London, just <laughs> eating a baguette, and... <laughs> cycling around London, cursing at protesters. Oh, I <laughs> saw that. Was great. Just, that video was yeah, great. good him. Okay, so now you see me three, the uh, the China connection coming soon to cinemas <laughs> near you. <laughs> if they don't call it that, or or a Chinese magic title, uh, was it something like? Uh, like the Chinese firework or something like that. It could do that. It could do that. Yeah. Uh, now you see me, Year of the Dragon. That could work. 
I'll be even more culturally insensitive. Even we'll more, see. even more. Yeah. Okay, then. So let's talk about, of course, the film that is going to be mass marketed in China, the film that Alibaba are funding through China, and we are, of course, referring to none other than Star, Star Trek, Trek Beyond. Beyond. That is as close I'll ever get to being in madness. <laughs> but don't you yeah. love that you are finally a button? We made you into a button. It, it's, <laughs> it is about time. It's, it's been over a year. Time. Well, so Star Trek Beyond is here, and, uh, well, you, you can't avoid the marketing, really. It is everywhere. It's surprisingly well-marketed for a Star Trek movie. Hmm, it's pretty much everywhere, isn't it? Right? It is. Um, so, right, we're not going to get into, you know, what everyone thinks of, of this series today, because it seems to be quite a, diver, a divisive sort of a franchise in and of itself. Um, this, this takes place 900-something days after the start of the Enterprise's five-year mission. So, basically, we are now roughly in season three of the original series. Yeah. Uh, but they don't do the events of Spock's brain. Which well, that's good. Everyone knows that was the finest hour of the original series, was Spock's <laughs> brain, in which aliens kidnapped Spock and removed his, his brain, brain and then returned his brainless body to the Enterprise. We all know that was the, that, that was the, the fine point. But this ignores all of that anyway. This is its own beast. Uh, we are in year three. It's just under three years of the five-year mission. And basically, the Enterprise has settled into this kind of unusual routine, whereby they're now quite self-contained. They've been away from Earth for so long that the crew is kind of accustomed to just themselves. They are their own little world. And the day-to-day rigour has started to set in. As Kirk himself puts it, things are starting to feel a little bit episodic. Now... I think that's that's a great line, isn't it? There's a moment in which he opens his wardrobe, for instance, and there's nine of his captain's uniforms just hung up on coat hangers, and he just sort of sighs. And you, I would love that. I would love to wear the same thing every day. It would take away so much stress. All right, Jeff Goldblum. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, things have got a bit episodic. Kirk is kind of feeling a bit uneasy. He's he's in. He's just used to the norm, the day-to-day rigors of being out in the black, so to speak. Relationships between the crew vary from being overly familiar to being entirely distanced, so some couples have, have drifted apart, some couples have gotten closer together, uh, Chekhov has, ba- has bided his time apparently sleeping his way through most of the Enterprise's female staff, which I think is more worthy of a plot than the bulk of the film, but <laughs> what happens then is the crew stops off at a new space station called the Yorktown, which is the big uh, snow globe looking space station you might have seen in the in the trailers. And they, whilst they're on a long overdue shore leave, they reunite with some families, they get to call home, things like that. They answer a distress call from an alien whose crew has been uh, abducted on a, on a nearby planet in, a ne- in an uncharted nebula. The Enterprise goes, and before you know it, this happens. Approaching ultimate. Class M planet. Massive subterranean development, but limited to no life forms on the surface. Proximity alert, sir. We have an unknown ship heading right for us. Lieutenant Uhura held them? Yes, Captain. No response. I am picking up some kind of signal. They're jamming us. Magnify, Mr. Sulu. What is this? Shields up! Ready! 
Of course, the Enterprise is then incapacitated. Its crew, are, uh, half, most of them are taken hostage by a vicious alien warlord named mm. Kral, who's played by Idris Elba, yeah. and the few who aren't captured, who happen to be the main uh, cast members, as you know, because dumb luck, uh, team up with an alien they encounter on the planet named Jayla, who's played by Sophia Batella from Kingsman, mm. and soon to be the mummy, and uh, they reunite to basically rescue their crew and get off of this, this isolated planet, and also thwart a plot by the villainous crawl, which extends far beyond this one isolated planet. Beyond, if you will. Hmm, I wonder if that title was... <laughs> Never mind. So, there's a moment very early on in which um, Simon Pegg's character, Scotty, says, if I mess this up, I don't want it to have just been my fault. And then you remember that he actually co-wrote this. He's, he's the head writer on this. He wrote this with Doug Young. And you start to realise that everything that's actually wrong with the film largely does come down to Simon Pegg and Doug Young. <clears throat> So, for instance, the first uh, 15 minutes of the film are fantastic. Things like the general ennui, the sense of, of you know aimlessness that's in daily life on the Enterprise. There's some absolutely brilliant stuff there. There is a moment, for instance, remember the very beginning of Wrath of Khan? Yes. When they have uh, McCoy and, and Kirk and they're celebrating his birthday mm. and, he's, and he's a bit morose about it. They do that again. They do a whole inverted version of that where now he's morose, but he's morose for a different reason. And he's not giving him a pair of glasses for apparently But it's no not as on the nose a plot point as, say, the Wrath of Khan. No, not, not, there's yeah. nothing quite like that in it. Um, there are loads of ideas in, in the early stages of the film which are then just unexplored. There are plot points brought up which amount to absolutely nothing. The death of Leonard Nimoy, for instance, is not only acknowledged, but it is actually folded into the narrative. It's actually an event which mm. has taken place. Ambassador Spock has died, as we discovered early on in this movie. And rather than there being any thematic or character arc based reason for it to be there, it's simply a thing that's there. There is an element of Sulu has been away from his family. He's reunited with his family and he's forced away on a rescue mission. It's there for no reason. There is a, a, a breakdown in the relationship between uh, Spock and Uhura. It's there for no reason. There's no acknowledgement to it. We never even actually establish why that relationship ended. It's just mentioned for no reason. There's a little emotional moment to it. And it's there for no other reason than to reference a piece of jewellery. Well, you just said earlier about um, relationships getting distant and so Based maybe that's line. why it's there. Uh, there seems to be more to it. It's never explored. And the problem okay. is the film is absolutely chock full of this. While at the same time, being put together by a writer who wants to acknowledge certain events in Enterprise and Voyager, which are literally two opposite ends of the Star Trek spectrum, it feels like a film which has been designed to play to the most entertaining idea imaginable without stopping to think whether or not it makes any logical or coherent sense. Uh... There are just moments in it. I mean, I, can't, I still can't tell you for the life of me what the point of the villain's plot actually is. Couldn't um, tell you. Just to be Idris Elba in, uh, 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 but, in a believe big me, budget film? There is, there is a reveal to Idris Elba's character that when it comes about, you can't quite figure out why it's come about. You're like, I don't, I'm still not getting it. Why? Like, mm. what? Why? <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense. And there seems to be an element of a sort of post-Cold War, post-9-11 theology to it. But then you think, this just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's entertaining. 
it's fun, it's frivolous, it's got the whimsy, it's got that, that anarchic uh, style, that a, that, that, what do you call it, that dishevelled, frantic energy that J.J. Abrams always put into it. But Justin Lin doesn't handle it quite as competently as J.J. Abrams did. And funnily enough, the last time around, J.J. Abrams was really phoning it in. Because I think we all now know that he was just biding his time waiting for another space franchise instead. So... The uh, Battlestar. The, the Battlestar film. Didn't yeah. he get Star Wars before doing Into Darkness? I think he did. And he there did, was, but I don't know if it there was Because it was a last-minute decision that he was going to do Into Darkness. I'm sure yeah. it was, if we look back on it now. Well, it does feel rushed. It does yeah. feel rushed, but his rushed, it turns <coughs> out, is still more coherent than Justin Lin's. And that feels like kind of a problem. Having said that, the cast are all superb. They have gotten... I mean, they, they were all well cast to begin with. No yeah. one's ever this, accused them. It's now the third time they've done it. Yeah. Third time so around. I still maintain that Simon Pegg is the worst thing in the film, although this time around, since he's written the script as well, he technically counts twice. Um, Sophia Batella's a bit of an archetypical alien warrior mm. chick character. I found out why her name is what it is in the film earlier. Uh, okay, what is it? I mean, why is it, sorry? Why is it J-Lo? Uh, her name is J-Lo. Um, it's a nod to, uh, to Jennifer Lawrence. Ah, Winter's okay. Bone. I yeah, get it. Yeah, because they wanted like, a similar kind of character. and Yeah. Came away that way. Oh, okay. There is another character name which comes up, which I can't spoil. Um, which, when combined with the name of another ship that's in the film, you just roll your eyes and go, "Really? What fourth grade idiot put this together?" And you go, "Oh, yeah, Simon Pegg." It's so like an unobtainium sort of moment. <laughs> yeah. Put yeah. it this way: you can tell Simon Pegg wrote this film because Scotty has an unnecessarily large part, and Sulu has three lines. So. You know, make of that what you will. It is the weakest of the trilogy. I think people who found into in your da- opinion, in, I, no, no, I think just as a film, mm. regardless of being a fan of that, I think as a film, as a put together piece of cinema, I think it is by far the weakest film of the of this of this trilogy. Not the Star Trek films ever, because we still have Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier, in which Kirk punched God. Yeah, you know, we still have that to Lest work we with. Forget, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never forget that Bill Shatner fought God. But it is entertaining. You will enjoy it. The end. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen. The On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. So before we do the top 10 case, uh, before we do any news of that, we should pl- point out the podcast, do a little plug there, because if you ever want the extended edition of the show where we get to fit the films that we don't get to fit into the, the regular radio edition, download the podcast edition. It's all there after the end credits in that what we've lovingly named our very cleverly titled Podcast Extras section. Yeah, why have you called it that? It's the extra bit and it's podcast. <laughs> exactly. It's not just a clever title. <laughs> it's not Crucial Tort and Those Beatles from Wayne's World. Um, so yes, I mean, this week we're, we're going to fit the the killings of Tony Blair review into mm, there. Yeah, yeah. And we've got loads of film news that we're not going to fit into the show. Uh, so go on, Acast, uh, Deezer, TuneIn, uh, and go on, onscreenfilm.com. You can download it from any of those, and it's just about 20 minutes longer, and there's, there's all the bits we don't going to fit into the show. Um, so uh, we did have some film news for Star Trek, actually, which is they're pushing ahead with a fourth one. Yes, they are. This is pretty big news. This actually. is pretty big news. It's pretty big and pretty pretty bold. Yeah, I would and it's say. gonna feature a new cast member, which is a very interesting choice. <laughs> who is also an old cast member? Who's also an old <laughs> cast member and a dead one as well. Yeah, who is uh, Chris Hemsworth is going to be starring as George Kirk. George Kirk, yeah. 
And yeah, and I, there are Jim Kirk's dad. Yeah, there are yeah. seeds sown for it. There's a, a very brief bit in in Star Trek Beyond in which the seeds are sown for it. There is a conversation about him very briefly. Yeah, um, but yes, uh, Chris Hemsworth is going to be back as George Kirk. Mm. How we That's don't pretty know. Pretty cool though. I mean, he's he's always been quite. He's been like an underlying yeah. theme of well, all these films. He's the reason yeah. the movie, the universe exists, isn't he? Really? Yeah. In one sense, uh, there is also one other element which is a bit morbid, but unfortunately has to be talked about. Which mm. is, if you go forward, what do you do with Chekhov? J.J. Abrams has revealed in an interview they don't know yet they will not be recasting him though out no. of respect for Anton Yelchin so shall we, uh, shall we crack on with the top 10 for this week? Why the hell not? Number 10. The Conjuring 2 of the Enfield case which I like, and I think it's going to be gone by next week since it's at number 10. Yeah, it sounds anyway. like And the thing is, this is going to find a real home on DVD. And, you know, Because obviously the DVD is going to be out for Halloween. That, mm. That's kind of a given. DVD, Blu-ray, be out for Halloween. It will sell a shed load of copies because I think the first is quite beloved in a strange way. And, I mean, imagine the box sets they're going to make out of this Conjuring, Annabelle Conjuring 2. Um, it is, it, what I think, one of the most exciting horror franchises around at the minute because it is made with pedigree. It is made with sincerity and thoughts, and I quite like that about it. I like James Wan's direction in it, I really love the cast, and more importantly, I love the scares it offers. Number 9 ID4R <laughs> Independence Day Resurgence <laughs> yeah. Now, you've seen this one, do you want to take this one? Uh, yeah, um, so, Aliens Come Back Jeff yeah. Goldblum's not in it as much as he needs. We don't have Will Smith. We've got some kid <laughs> playing his stepson that wasn't the original kid. Um, yeah. President's daughter is played by a different Someone person. Someone who wasn't the original uh, kid. President has a beard when he doesn't have a beard when he dies. And uh, the end. So yeah, we'll be back for a third one. Thanks, I'm sure. for the, thanks for the spoiler there, case. <laughs> but yes, they do manage to cure mental health through the power of it shaving. Wasn't, it wasn't a spoiler; it was saving people two and a bit hours. It was pretty bad. It was a really, really poor sequel. It's one of the most apathetic things I've seen in a multiplex in a long time. Number eight. Central Intelligence. I had the pleasure of seeing this again last weekend, and uh, I've, I've been really looking forward to seeing it again. Um, I was very impressed by the fact that it hadn't lost any of its humour on a second go-around. It hadn't lost any of its surprise factor. I think The Rock's performance in it is actually a lot more attuned than I was giving it credit for. I thought it was a great performance anyway, but I actually think there's some real calculation to how he delivers his performance. Have you seen Central Intelligence? I've not had the pleasure. pleasure. There is a, a real... There's a real precision to how he delivers certain elements of his performance, and he's not gotten anywhere near enough credit for it. I mean, he is he's funny as hell, and so is Kevin Hart. The film is exciting and it delivers on every front, but The Rock is the bonus here. Number seven. Now You See Me 2. Which, frankly, just isn't as good as Now You See Me 1, and it has none of the surprise. It struggles to justify its own existence quite a lot, actually. And by the time it really starts to pick up any traction, it's almost over. And you know the bit in the trailer that you've seen with the raindrops where he manages to stop rain and make it go backwards, mm. etc.? Like, that is really close to the very, very end. And it's not until then that you get the characters back that you wanted to begin with. Like, we want you to be the Four Horsemen again. Do that. And they don't. And it's just not a very good sequel at all. Number six. Brand new entry from... Uh... 30-odd years ago. Uh, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Secret cinema event. Yeah. This is an old event of theirs that they've, they've brought back for a limited run. And yeah. apparently, apparently, it was a, it was a big seller. How so. can people? Bought, is there any? Is there like a big anniversary? I, I'm not sure. I think it's just because it's summer. And well, could you imagine doing an outdoor dancing event now in this temperature? I mean, if it's summer, just just do Jaws. <laughs> just do, do Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. I would love a secret cinema Jaws event. I really That'd would. Be great. Everyone's in like hot tubs. And do you know what? You know yeah. what I'd love to see as a secret cinema event? What's that? Predator. 
Oh, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Like, just get like a, a jungle preserve or something. You like some greenhouse place, hire that out. And mm. anyway, that, that nicely segues into a bit of film news. Uh, Predator, James Franco. Do you I got know it. this? I got it. James yeah. Franco is circling the lead role in The Predator, which is going to be Shane yeah. Black's rebooted blockbuster take on the Predator franchise. So. I don't know how I feel about that. I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I didn't have high hopes for him in uh, Rise of, of the Planet of the Apes. Well, that's it, because he did blockbuster. He did yeah. franchise filmmaking then, didn't he? Yeah. And it, wasn't that, it wasn't a great performance, but it was impressive it by was his what, standards. It was what was needed. Yeah. yeah. I quite liked it. It, it, it takes the boxes. So we, we've got to talk, of course, about uh, Ming of Harlem now, which mm. uh, we have both seen. Yes, which we is, have. We're actually going doing quite well with this, having seen things together this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we both seen Ming of Harlem. Now, this purports to be... It's, it's called Ming of Harlem 21 Stories in the Air. This is the story of Antoine Yates, who was a, a Harlem resident who, it was discovered, kept a tiger, a full-size adult tiger named Ming... In his in his twenty first floor apartment, along with an alligator named Al. Now I can't help but feel he put more thought into the tiger's name than the alligator. But uh, Maybe yeah, listen to like some Paul Simon when yeah. he named the alligator. Anyway, yeah. so it is eventually discovered that he has these uh, these animals in his uh, in his care, and well, he he he's prosecuted for reckless endangerment. And this is a film which purports to chronicle exactly what was going on. Here's a here's a trailer clip, really. Mr. Yates, can you tell us what you were thinking by keeping these animals? Love, baby, love. Do you have any regrets? Never. He got my leg in his mouth, and I could just see his ears pierced back, his, his pupils starting to get little bit smaller and smaller, starting to dilute little. And he's huffing on my leg and puffing on it. You can see the fangs going straight through my legs. Maybe 90% of the time, the whole apartment was his room. So how the house was set up, Basically, he stayed pinned to my leg, so it was like I had a growth on me, you know what I mean? (laughs) Funny, but he always stayed pinned to me. We've got about two minutes on this case, and you've seen it as well. Do you want to have a chat about it first? Do you want to do do a minute yourself? I'll let you do a minute, then I'll do a minute. Okay, fair enough. Um, First and foremost, the film in no way covers any kind of narrative, which is a real problem. Um, You and I had a discussion about this over a drink earlier, and I think we both agreed. Wouldn't it be nice to have known, I don't know, how he got the animals, yeah, some where details. they lived, how that works. I mean, we know, oh, sorry, we know where they lived. We don't know where he lived. Because as he puts at one point in that clip, the tiger had the run of his apartment. Yeah. Where did he sleep? Yeah, he just said uh, 90% of the time. Yeah. So. And there are things like that. It's the, the problem is the story is really not explored. It's well, it's, it's well put together. Mm. I mean, it plays like a visual poem. It, and it, exactly it's that. very it is like a tone poem it's like slow tv if you're familiar yeah, with that where it's just a camera much. on one subject for like two hours well, there, there is a bit where for like 15 minutes you just it. follow the tiger just walking around this is very true yeah. that is it for 15 minutes and occasionally you just get a bit of lilted poetry over the top of it yeah and the problem is i would say that it's not entertaining that's kind of a given anyway but the problem is, there's absolutely no intellectual or artistic heft to any of it. It seems to be, we like this story, we don't have anything we know we can do with it, so we'll just shoot mm. it anyway. And the problem is, you come out of it thinking, oh, oh, it's 
just a yeah. thing. I mean, it's only about 80 minutes long, isn't it? Something like that, Something yeah. Like, that. like, I would like someone to do a theatrical version of this, to uh, do, like, a dramatisation, but then again... To do a scripted version of it, Do a scripted it, yeah. version, but then I think it's more likely it's going to get turned into a comedy and Kevin Hart's going to be in it, so... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, yeah. you've got... In, if you look, look at the title, you've got Ming, which is an Asian thing, and then you've got Harlem. This could be a Spike Lee movie. Yeah, Spike Lee joint, absolutely. This could absolutely be a Spike Lee joint. And you know what? You know the day that it is, I'll be the first one in line for that. But I really wouldn't advise mm. joining any kind of line for this, and that's kind of a problem. It is. It's, it's going to be great when someone edits it down to a forty-minute version, yeah. adds adverts to it, good, and sticks it out well, on Channel great, Five. Great story, just not good execution. In fact, do you know what? Yeah. Perfect. That's it, right there. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. And we're back. Who doesn't love a bit of Top Gun in the morning, Case? Me, me, I don't. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a Top Gun fan? No. Oh, man. I know. We've we got to have words, we've got to have words. So, uh, let's have a look then at Chevalier, which is uh, the latest film from uh, Athena Rachel Sangari, who was the director, writer-director, remember Attenberg, a few years ago? I do remember Attenberg. That was, that was her. Um, this, is also, this is also a Greek film. Um, this is a little bit more, well, wacky in one sense. This is six grown men of varying ages, and they all, they all, they all have different... Uh, they, they all know each other, but they're all through different means. So you've got two who are old friends, you've got... Uh, um, uh, uh, the father and the son-in-law and the would-have-been fiancé is another guy. And the, so six men on a luxury yacht on a fishing trip in the Aegean Sea and basically out of boredom, they get into a contest of man points whereby you get graded for different things. Like, do you brush your teeth, teeth every day? Okay, five points. How many times a day do you brush? Oh, three. That's too many to be seriously manly, so we'll dock you. But if it's twice, that's fine. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, they all take a very specific picture, for instance, mm. on a mobile phone and compare pics, so to speak. And it, it's that sort of an idea. But in doing so... Um, in doing so, what you get is this exploration of the male psyche, and old rivalries begin to flare up, psychological divides begin to form, tempers flare, and before you know it, we have built to an emotional and masculine crescendo. We don't have a clip, because obviously it's all Greek, and that doesn't particularly translate through radio, unless we're broadcasting to the Greeks, in which case, <laughs> fine. Um, we, we might be. We might be. We might be. We don't Hi. know. Uh, so this is, this is really well shot. I mean, if you remember Attenberg, Sangari is a great director anyway, but what she's done here is she's managed to, uh, to play up the claustrophobic angle of it. It's all set on this boat, and even though a lot of it's set on the deck, what you've got is this foreboding sense of imprisonment, this confinement to within the boat itself. They do periodically go diving, for instance, but that's sort of viewed as a way of getting characters out of the way and allowing the other characters the time to pick them apart. Um, the writing of it is is interesting. It seems to teeter between the really deep psychological stuff and the the sort of bonkers, deranged, kind of, you know, basically bro zone kind of a stuff. The problem with it is there's a lot of it that's unspoken. There's a lot of... I mean, for instance, you can go through most of this film and not realise what one of the key relationships is all about until it's pointed out to you at the very, very end of the film. You think, oh, okay, I wish I'd known that earlier because it would have made 
moment A and moment B a lot more interesting if I'd known that at the time. I have the, the benefit of hindsight, admittedly, but I kind of wished I'd just had that made available to me early on. There's a lot of that to it. Um, the the cast, obviously all-male cast, are a lot of fun. The interaction between them is, is quite engaging, quite lively. And the interactions between them, the, the way they bounce off one another, there's enough there to really hold your interest, keep you engaged. Um, but it is more of a success when you view it in that way if you you have to step back and stop viewing it really as as a as an overall film and just get involved in the characters you do feel like there is you know there's an all-star male american version of this to be made <laughs> you know you you feel like this is the kind of movie that Vince Vaughn is chomping at the bit to remake and ruin well he always remakes the yeah. european he he likes ruining he? european always, films yeah because yeah, we all remember delivery man in which, yeah, yes, we do. In which the more talented one was relegated to sidekick. So sorry, Chris Pratt. Um, that's the thing. You will value the film. It's a valuable experience. There's a lot of insight to it, and you will value. You think, okay, yes, I've just watched something impressive, but you'll never quite acclimatize to it. You never quite get immersed in it beyond the actual character stuff. The story leaves you quite cold, and it's a little bit disjointed as a result. And I kind of wanted a bit more to it than that. I mean, for instance, that you want it to play up the more comedic side i think of the of the of the the bro angle of it if you will but never quite gets there but uh, oh uh, film news by the way we uh, we mm. need to talk about nice because that was you know horrific terrorist attack in nice last yeah. week on was it on bastille day it was yeah it was, it was a bastille day uh, celebration yeah and of course the film bastille day has now been pulled from french cinemas at the request of studio canal it's worth noting yeah, like French cinema, French distributors were were going to, but they were continuing to show it. And mm. Studio Canal have, have out of sensitivity. Yeah, yeah Studio Canal, which asked, is the, the correct thing to yeah, do. Please yeah. take it down. We don't think it's right that this is <clears> out there. And hats off to them because you know they're swallowing the money on that. Good for them. You know that's, that's quite a good mature decision. Mm. I would say. Should we uh, should we finish this week's top ten then? But we carry on. Uh, go on then. Number five. Absolutely fabulous. The slightly longer. Longer version. episode, yeah, yeah. Episode. which uh, it's not. It's not awful. It's not like horrifically bad. It's <clears throat> it's 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 fine. I've seen worse. I laughed a couple times. Uh, you know how I'm a big fanatic of using contactless payment and like Apple Pay for things. Uh, yeah. So I think something will happen to your skin if you use coins. Well, funnily enough, I didn't notes. have a. I, this movie's given me a term that I really like, which is for cash. Which is what? Do you have any of that? What do you call it? Hand money. <laughs> and I love that. I, I've been using that nonstop since. Hand money. I like that term. Um, most of the funniest bits take place when Joanna Lumley and Jennifer Saunders are off screen, noticeably. But uh, there are some laughs. It's it's all right. Number four. <laughs> Tarzan 85. <laughs> Tarzan 85? Yeah, because I think it's like the 85th version of Tarzan. Is it actually the 85th? Do you actually know Do you know what? I think it's more. Do you actually think I think it's, it's more now. I bet you if we look, we'll look into it. I'll look, look it up for next time. But uh, I liked this, and a lot of critics didn't, and I cannot mm. for the life of me fathom why. Um, a lot of people just think it's quite boring. It's been done, and it's I, I disjointed. Like it had that, that free-swinging, romping, nostalgic action sense down. It had a great Tarzan and a great Jane. I really liked it. Had an interesting villain in Christoph Waltz, who got more to do here than he did in Spectre. Uh, I, I liked it. Number three. <laughs> Toy Story for Dogs. Toy Story for Dogs. So the secret life of pets. 
<laughs> Which I, I, I like this. And it is Toy Story 1. I, I don't think anyone can argue with that. It is pretty much a straight remake of Toy Story 1. Uh, but it is about the fact the characters are really likeable and the voice actors are so well chosen and the gags really land. And I, I like the zany madcap feel of it and I like Kevin Hart as the psychotic bunny. <laughs> and there's a lot... What's his name? Snow, Snowflake? Snowball? Snowball, I Snowball, I think. I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Kids like it. Adults like it. Nobody's coming out of this film disliking it. And I think that that's the key point to it. It has universal appeal, which is also a universal film, so go figure. Number two. Ice Age Collision Course, for one where they go to space. <laughs> that's the thing. They don't go to space, but they do Armageddon. Space comes to them. <laughs> that's it. Ar- they do Armageddon. This is Armageddon for kids. And I don't think there's any way of Armageddon again. <laughs> yeah, Armageddon again, exactly. <laughs> Armageddon? I don't know. Armageddon. Yeah. So Armageddon with the Ice Age cast. And Ice Age is one of those franchises you sort of forget about until it reappears. It's kind of like the Kung Fu Panda series. Obviously, Oh, are... come on. No, I would not compare really? Kung Fu Panda to, uh, to Ice Age. Okay, well, that's a discussion for another time. Yes, but... it is. That's just a discussion for when number four comes out. When number four comes yeah. out, exactly. Um, I didn't mind the film. I laughed a few times. I thought some of the jokes were really sort of inappropriately gauged. Uh, no one needs a Tinder joke in a kid's movie. But, you know, for the most part, it works. Number one. Who are you going to call? Someone else. <laughs> Ghostbusters. I didn't mind it. You didn't mind it. I didn't mind it either. I don't think it's hilarious. I think it had its laughs in the right place. Yeah, the laughs but just feel like they're not at home in a Ghostbusters film. The thing is, I, I felt like there were requisite laughs. Mm. They do feel kind of phoned in laughs, if you know what I mean. Put it this way, it's more it's funnier than the boss, but it's not as funny as Bridesmaids or Spy. I think that's that's the best yeah. way to call it, I would say. The problem is that like the song that you've just heard the snippet of, the whole thing feels like a remix of something better. And you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, rose tinting Ghostbusters or anything. It, it is what it is, and you know, it was what it <laughs> some was. People some, some people do. Some people build do. their entire lives around it. Some people have Ghostbusters themes weddings, and those people yeah. are well losers. But yes, uh, they are losers. And, Lest we forget, yes, they are. Yes, they are. They are losers, and uh, apparently sexist losers. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, they're now racist losers as well. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this. This is one. a pile of diarrhea, isn't it? According to some people. According to I've some people, that, yeah. yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've had you know, we've had you know, verbal assaults on women. Now we're having verbal assaults on black women as well what is wrong with people the film is a film yeah. it's fine leave it alone stop antagonising people there was a thing on Twitter Twitter said that they're just flat out removing people good say good. anything to Leslie Jones which is yeah that's why, it you know, like, I don't I don't particularly do think that Leslie Jones is anything wonderful in this movie I think but that's more to do with the character no, than I find Leslie her about Jones. as funny as this as I do on Saturday Night Live <laughs> yeah exactly which is yeah she's pretty good well if you remember when we reviewed the film was it last week um yeah. One of the things we sort of agreed on was that the, her character at first is really out of place, but you know you do kind of get used to her after a while, and mm. there is a lot of lowest yeah. common denominator humour in there. Um, interestingly, uh, Paul Feig said that um, Melissa McCarthy was going to be her character. I was wondering yeah. that. I she did was going to be the loud, that. bombastic, boisterous one. I think it's the fact that we've seen Melissa McCarthy do that. Well, that's what he said as well. He said yeah. that we've never seen her do this. Although. Yeah. Given the performers involved, I actually would be quite. I would have been quite intrigued to have seen Leslie Jones as the scientist. I would have been more intrigued by that so than Melissa McCarthy yeah. as the subway worker. Hmm. But uh, anyway, back to the original point. If you're one of those people that objects to Ghostbusters on the fact that it stars, you know, four women and one of them's a black woman. <laughs> Go Please. back and watch Ghostbusters 2. Go back and watch yeah. Ghostbusters 2. Just get a life. Just get a life. Why do people think that's a good film? I No, I don't mind Ghostbusters 2. 
I, I gave um, no objections. I respect your right to say that, but you are incorrect. <laughs> you, you're not going to send me hateful tweets. You're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> going to send tweets to anyone because I don't use Twitter that much. Also, you're not a loser. Yay. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. Oh, you know my favourite film news of the week, by the way? What is that? I don't, I don't know if you've heard this one. This is amazing to me. Right, you remember there's an emoji movie coming? Oh, I have heard this, yes. Have you heard this? Yes, so there's this. an emoji movie coming over at Sony. It's called Emoji Movie, colon, Express Yourself. Mm. Wow, the marketing for this one's going to sell itself. Um, it's going to star TJ Miller. Yes. TJ Miller of Deadpool and Silicon Valley. So you know there's going to be a Deadpool emoji. Oh, of course yeah. there is, yeah. But, I mean, TJ Miller, who really embodies the term a TJ Miller type. He's a TJ Miller type, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> but, yeah, so looking forward to that one. That's going to be next year, isn't it? Uh, I believe so, yeah. So let's talk about uh, the film you can't have avoided in, in marketing this week, which is, of course, The BFG, or as it's noticeably entitled on screen, Roald Dahl's The BFG. Mm. I found that very surprising. It's specifically titled as Roald Dahl's Is it not the about in the marketing? I don't know. I, I seem to just see it as the BFG, but it's Roald Dahl's The BFG on the big screen. So this is written by Melissa Matheson, uh, who obviously brought us E.T. once upon a time. And she has reteamed with, uh, you know, that, that boat you might have heard of, Young, young, the up and coming director who who once helmed the beer, uh, once helmed E.T. and uh, of course, what's his name? Steve, <laughs> Steve Spellman. Steve Spellman, Senor Spielbergo, his non-union equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> so Steven Spielberg has brought you know, the BFG to life. Uh, stars a newcomer, Ruby Barnell, as uh, as Sophie, a young 1980s London-based orphan who one night witnesses a giant on the streets of London, finds herself captured and whisked away to giant country, where she discovers that this uh, you know initially terrifying giant is in fact. The BFG, the big friendly giant, voiced and motion capture performed by uh, Mark Rylance, who we both like. I think that's him. He's fine. Do you, do you actually? I know you don't like him because he shouldn't have gotten an Oscar, but do do you just not like him in general? I thought you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like him fair in enough. Fair enough. So he's your Miles. Do you know why? Because I've seen him in two films. Yeah. Uh, Bridge of Spies and uh, The Gunman okay. with Sean Penn, and I've so far I've not seen his films, so so far he's not won me over. He's in my favorite Jason Statham movie. Which is Blitz. See, I never saw Blitz. You never saw Blitz. I never saw Blitz. Oh, you, you should. You should. I'll be seeing okay. it for Statham, not Violence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyway, before long, uh, Sophie and the BFG have formed something of a friendship, and she decides to help him in ridding giant country of its nastier, child eating inhabitants. The villainous other giants led, you know, have names like Bone Crusher and Meat Dripper and Butcher Boy and, yeah, things like that. So, they turn to Queen Elizabeth II in order to use the British armed forces to encourage into giant country and remove the threat once and for all. Here's a clip. But why did you bring me here? Why did you take me? Well, I had to take you. Because the first thing you'd be doing, you'd be scuddling around and yodling the news that you were actually seeing a giant. And then there would be a great rumple dumpers, wouldn't there? And all the human beings would be rummaging and whiffling for the giant what you saw and getting wildly excited and then they'd be locking me up in a cage to be looked at with all the squiggling, you know, hippo dumplings and crocodile dillies and jiggy rafts. And then there would be a gigantic look-see giant hunt for all of the boys. I won't tell. 
No one would listen to me anyway. I'm an untrustworthy child. Okay, so I'm going to try and cover this. We've only got a couple of minutes. I'm going to try and cover this as best I can. Okay. First and foremost, it's an absolutely sterling triumph overall. It is absolutely brilliant. I adore this film. Um, it does have problems, and surprisingly, they're the, they're the best kind of problems to have. The problems, first and foremost, are it largely its quality is obscenely predictable. <laughs> So, you think Mark Rylance is the BFG. He's exactly as good as you think he's going to be, which, you know, backhanded compliment if ever there was. Steven Spielberg's directing. He manages to somehow not only deliver a requisitely Spielbergian project. I mean, the early scenes in, in 1980s London play like the opening, that play like the beginning of Hook. That's exactly how it plays. And yet, despite the fact that it's requisitely Spielberg, it's also archetypically Roald Dahl as well. He's got that manic sense of just bonkersness, for lack of a better term, that bonkers nature of the world of Roald Dahl. There's even a, a wonderful little nod to Quentin Blake at one point. Oh, really? Um, there is. There's a Amazing. wonderful little... You're like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe you included that. That's so wonderful. Um, on a, a narrative front, on, a, on the writing level, Melissa Matheson has managed to take everything that was great about it, but the story beats are all there. So if you're an established fan, because most of us, if we're, <clears throat> if we're really honest, I'm not sure if, the, if, if you qualify with this one, most of us know the 1989 animated film better than we know even the book, I think. I, 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 think I, I, would, agree, I would agree with you generally, <clears throat> but not <clears throat> Not in your specific case. Yeah, because I, I was all about books, because of my grand and stuff. That's the thing. I read the book, but I, I still know the 89 film yeah. better. Um, there's enough added to this. There's enough complexity that's been embedded within it that even those who really adore that think you could never do better than the 1989 film you can still watch this and there's something new for you there's enough for you to go okay i like that it's not any better or worse it's different i like that basically it does what ghostbusters should have but didn't um performance wise i think uh, well ryland's uh, ryland's is an absolutely perfect bfg he's this brilliant sort of i would say very regionally british reinterpretation of the bfg the bfg is very much a west country character now and he's played as a dithering old man in a way that i think the animated one particularly never quite nailed down he was a bit more of an oddball than mm. he is here here he's just he is just more of a friendly old man I think that uh, Ruby Barnhill makes uh, makes her a really interesting uh, child character. She's one of those Spielberg's kids, if you know what I mean. You know, trademark at the end of that term. In that way that Joe Mazzello was, once upon a time. Mm. The way that the kid who played Elliot was in the BFG. She is a classic, classically uh, you know, chosen child actor in the way that Spielberg has always done so well. And then you've got a really engaging supporting cast as well. You've got Penelope Winton, Sean the Dead as the Queen. You've got Rebecca Hall and Rafe Spall as her dutiful aides. And then, of course, as the other giants, you've got Jermaine Clement, who could basically do this in his sleep. And, you know, he, again, this is the predictably brilliant thing. Yeah. It, it, I call it Cumberbatch syndrome. That's exactly what it is. You watch Cumberbatch, and like, okay, it was brilliant by any other actor's standards, but for you, it's a Thursday. You know, it, it's that across the board. Jermaine Clement's very good. You got Adam Godley in there, Daniel Bacon, and guess who else? Mr. Allen, Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Bill Hader turns up as well. Um, I really loved it. I thought it was really, really good. Like I say, it hits all the story beats that you know it has to, but it has its own rhythm and its own cadence in getting there, its own singular tone. It has fused Spielberg and Roald Dahl. Arguably, it's one of the three best attempts to ever adapt Roald Dahl for the screen. And for the record, I am counting the original uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda. <laughs> not, not Tim Burton. Not Tim Burton. Yeah. 
not at all. I'm counting the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory yeah. with Gene Wilder. They've never made my favourite. Which one? Uh, the Twits. Ah, I would. I like that yeah. as well. Uh, I want George's Marvelous Medicine. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Film. Those two, I, I would happily book. see adapted. Also, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. But you have to do the first one right first. Uh, th- that's the thing, yeah. yeah. And I don't think they could have done it at the time. No, definitely yeah. not. So, uh, BFG, I'm going to give Film of the Week to. Hands down, I think. I, it's it's light years beyond uh, Star Trek Beyond, so to speak. Um, but I, I just had a lot of fun with it. I think parents and kids are really going to love it. I think it's going to be a benchmark fairy tale movie for a whole generation of kids. I think it's great. I think it is one of the most successful attempts ever. One of the three best attempts to adapt Roald Dahl for the screen. But uh, also, you know, Penelope Winston's Queen Elizabeth. You're going to love that. You really are. But she does look like the Queen. She does, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Uh, by the way, there is a moment in which she phone calls Ronald Reagan. She phones up. <laughs> so she phones Nancy and asks to speak to Ronnie. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, there is that moment. <laughs> so uh, we're not doing a show next week, as you know. We're, we're off mm. next week. But we're going to be back the week after. So on August 5th's show, we're going to have to catch up with the films we missed next week, which are going to be Finding Dory. We've got that. Uh, we've got The Commune which is uh, a story about a 1970s commune and the intricacies of that. Cool. Uh, author, the J.T. Leroy story, which is a story about who who really was J.T. Leroy. It was a pen name, but no one knows who it really was. Uh, Jason Bourne as well. Did I say Finding Dory already? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, born, born Again. Born Again. Reborn. Yep. Jason Reborn. Yeah. And if it's really bad, you can call it Stillborn. Hi-oh. <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> uh, but of course, all out that week for August the 5th, the big release is going to be Suicide Squad. Mm. Which is, it was going to be the Kevin Spacey cat comedy Nine Lives as well, but that seems to have been bumped. That's some of what the story is really looking forward to. Yeah, I'm no, just, I'm disappointed. Just cats, by. Kevin Spacey, what could possibly go wrong? Christopher Walken's in there. <laughs> exactly. Bobby Sands, 66 Days, that's out as well. The, the documentary about the Irish hunger strike as well. Oh, that's, really? Yeah, that's that week as well. Interesting oh. one, isn't it? I didn't know they were doing it because, of course, the film, uh, the film Hunger is yes yeah. as well. Yeah. Mark Fassbender. Uh, we've got uh, Up for Love, starring who is the guy from The Artist whose name I can never remember? Jean de Jardin. Jean de Jardin, that's him as well, and the carer, and that's all to come. Uh, along with more on August 5th's show. So, well, that's it for the month of July, really, and for a fortnight. So, well, that's kind of a decent note to go out. We're all melting here anyway. Oh, it's so hot. It's so hot. It is so hot. (laughs) I couldn't possibly tell you about that customer's secret illegal account. Oh, it's too too hot hot today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) Oh, crap. It's too hot. Uh, So, really, well, this has been the Kelly Store production for uh, On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we'll be back next week, week after. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, Mr. Allen. So, well, we've got some interesting stuff uh, in the film news that we've not covered yet. Yeah, a couple so, of bits and pieces. Did you hear this very, very random sequel news this last week? This this might have slipped by you, I don't know. So, someone interviewed Christopher Lambert, I presume because they were bored. And, because uh, what's Christopher Lambert got to do interviews about? You got a, like a minor, like a, a cameo in Hail Caesar. Um, how many interviews does uh, he agree to do? I think so. Yeah. Only, only one. <laughs> so, oh dear God, that is awful. I, I just, I needed a Highlander joke. In fact, think how it, bad it was. I just figured it out. It's the 30th anniversary of Highlander this year. They're uh, just doing a reissue. They're doing really. a reissue. So that'll be why he's doing. That'll be why he's doing interviews. There we go. Because I mean, 
no one's interviewing him for like a, a Fortress retrospective, yeah. even though I think we all know that Fortress was his finest work. Oh. But uh, no, so someone interviewed Christopher Lambert, and during the course of this interview, it was revealed that there's going to be a third Mortal Kombat movie. That's going to be in that series that started. It was about 1994, 96? Something like that. Something like that. That really garish Paul W.S. Anderson. I was going to say, it's the one that gave us the other Paul Anderson. Yeah, the other Paul Anderson. The one who had to add the W.S. But, which was the reason, the the W.S., by the way, stands for the fact that most people see his films and go, oh, what? That's that's where the WS comes from. Um, although you know, he... not Paul Top Notch Anderson. <laughs> Never. That's what I call him. No. Uh, although you know, he did give us Event Horizon, which I still think is the finest yeah, thing, that. finest thing he'll ever do. I mean, put Sam Neill in anything, and it'll make it at least ten percent better. There is that. Yeah. We need him in a, in a Jurassic World sequel. I'm telling you, we do. Oh my god, yeah, if he's in Jurassic World too, I still want Jeff Goldblum to come back, like as the all star cameo. <laughs> to be honest, I think you could get them both. I think you could. Yeah. That's what we want. We want Alan Grant and, and them both. If, if Jeff Goldblum will do Independence Day Resurgence, That's it. he'll do Jurassic Once World Once you've too. done Resurgence, you've got no excuse anymore. Exactly. <clears throat> so uh, we were talking about Spielberg when we were doing the BFG, and, uh, well, he's teaming up with one of our favourite actors now, Mr. Isaac himself. Yes. Now, th- mm. this is the thing. Oscar Isaac, one of the most exciting actors around at the minute. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, th- have you heard about this project they're doing together? Uh, yeah. Is it called... Correct me if I'm wrong. The kidnapping of Edgar Edgardo Edgardo Mutaro Matara. Hey, almost Edgardo Matara. You nearly had it. Say you didn't look that up. That was really well remembered. That was quite close. Well done. I I remember reading about it when uh, Mark Rylance. (coughs) Mark Rylance is in it. He is in it. Uh, Yeah, uh, was was announced for it because they can't make a film. You know, without each other now. Spielberg goes through these phases, though, doesn't he? Where he has an actor for like three or four films, (sighs) and yeah, but he's not really done this since. Maybe like Tom Hanks or something. Tom Hanks was his this, last one. He's, he's kind of become to Spielberg what Christoph Waltz is to Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. We'll talk about Tarantino in a minute then. Um, but yes, they're going to star in this film together, which is going to be set in 19th century Italy. Is about a young boy who's secretly baptized and is then abducted to be raised Christian. Isn't it got something to do with the Pope as well? And yes, the pa- it's, it's all about this movement, the Italian independence movement and the papal yeah. seat and how this family find themselves caught in the I middle. I feel like we should of... give it a better name, like Who Stole My Pope? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Hang on. Uh, let's see. Uh, Pope and faith. That would work. Pope and, faith. <laughs> Pope and circumstance. Pope, faith, and trick. Yeah, that would that would work. Yeah. <clears throat> Pope and glory. Oh, Pope uh. and glory. Pope and glory. That would work. Uh, but no. Speaking of Tarantino, he has yes. he has confirmed he's going to quit directing after his tenth film, oh, Hateful yeah. Eight. Having I remember when Kevin Smith said that. Yeah, yeah, this is the weird part, though. Tarantino's already undone it in the same <clears throat> interview by saying, I'll still come back for one every now and again. You're like, what? So what? that's not what you said, then, is it? So that's not... You're quitting after ten, <clears throat> but you're going to come back when you feel like it. I don't... <laughs> yeah. What? Just when he has another, like, alternate history idea. That's it, because it's not like he puts out a film every two years anyway. He's not one of those act- one of those directors. He's not Ron Howard. Yeah, you know, he's not Ron Howard. Okay, I'll do 2011, 2013, 2015. You know, he's not that kind of a director. Mm. Tarantino already does a film when he damn well pleases. Oh yeah, just so, when he has an idea for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how long was it? I think it was after before Kill Bill? He hadn't made a film in about six years, had he? Um, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Because it, it was a and, big thing. It was yeah, a big deal between when Kill Jackie Brown and, and Kill Bill. Is something like five or six years. Yeah. So what? <laughs> You're not directing films on a conveyor belt, Quentin. Get a grip. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not only that. I mean, Hateful Eight was the first good film I think he'd done in about a decade. So I won't stand for that. 
So you're saying that Django and Inglourious Bastards aren't good films? I don't like Django, and I have no time you for Inglourious. You don't like Django? No. Really? At no, all? No, I don't at all. Leonardo DiCaprio cut his hand open for you to say that, Ben. But I'd rather he'd cut Tarantino open. That's all I'm saying. But... <laughs> then he'd definitely be making ten films. <laughs> um, I have some news from uh, the world of Universal. What you got for me? So you know, doing this here movie... Monster, oh, the monster thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we Van had Hel- Javier Bardem last week, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, but this week, uh, we this uh, week. Van Helsing. Oh yeah, what is this? We've one? not got anybody attached. We've not got a cast. Hmm. We're not going to star. But they're saying that it's going to be inspired by Mad Max. Right. So expect Tom Hardy to be announced within minutes. <laughs> that that would not surprise me. My yeah. question though is: Is this the project we've been waiting for the announcement of? Is this their Avengers? Essentially, Is yeah. that what this is going to be? Yeah. Because I've been wondering where all this shared universe thing is going to lead up to. and it Because it needs the Avengers feature, really, doesn't it? No, yeah, essentially. And but. that's why they're now having Van Helsing. Huh. It's, it's going to be interesting. Sort of be a Nick Fury thread, I would assume. Yeah, I wonder about that. Well, you know what? It's not going to have... Uh... It's... <clears throat> Who's the Australian guy who played the sidekick in Van Helsing from Lord of the Rings? David Wenham. David Wenham. It's not going to have David Wenham's uh, David monk Wenham sidekick. is going to be the bad guy in Iron Fist. Is he? I'm so excited for that. That's oh, brilliant. I've never seen him be that kind of a character before. <laughs> he's, he's like a ruthless like billionaire industrialist. So Oh, fantastic. That'd be, I'm that'd sold. Be great, I'm yeah. absolutely sold. I love him in Moulin Rouge. I don't even remember that he's in that. He's dressed as a woman. Oh, well, that probably is. He's called Audrey. Oh, okay, how, how yeah. very random. Mm. Should we talk about very the old. killing of Tony Blair then? The killings? The killing of Tony Blair? Uh, yeah, why not? This, this is, has got three yeah. titles. So there's the killing of Tony Blair. There's the killings of Tony Blair with a dollar sign. Surely that should be the sequel. And, and then there's the he killings, just straight killings of Tony Blair. And then there's killing of Tony Blair. They can't decide on a title for this film. Everywhere you look has a different title. Well, this was a, was it a Kickstarter? This is a Kickstarter-funded yeah. documentary which has been put together by George Galloway. By the human trilby that is George Galloway. <laughs> George Galloway. Less, less, a, less a member of Parliament, more an out-of-work jazz singer. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Great, great coats that he wears. He does have great... Yeah, yeah it, it is those trilbies, though, that really make the man. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, enough of mocking George Galloway for at least a minute. So this is obviously... <laughs> Set it up. Exactly. This is a documentary put together through Kickstarter, which I suppose really chronicles the various misdeeds of Tony Blair, both in his election and his actual time in office, mm. and then his time as the Arab Arabian peace envoy. As well, afterwards, and then his time after that, when he's actually just become a public speaker, mm. and it's all put together. It's narrated and presented by George Galloway. It is produced by George Galloway. It was at one point going to be directed by George Galloway. So he did the theme tune as well. He, he wrote the theme tune and sang the theme tune. Yeah. There's a lot of Galloway on this. See if you get that from this clip. A new dawn has broken, has it not? that Clinton thing. His eyes were round and big and smiley, and he was very charming. He became this incredible pop idol kind of prime minister. I think most people who have dealt with me think I'm a pretty straight sort of guy, and I am. New Labour was backed by the most powerful media interests because they realised he was representing them. He was caught red-handed trading policy in return for hard cash from a businessman. America has no truer friend than Great Britain. 
So you've you've seen this as well, Case. I have. So <laughs> saw it uh, after I watched uh, Ming of Harlem this morning. So this is this is a very interesting little specimen. I mean, it does feel like a TV TV doc. Yeah, I said to you, it feels like a Channel Five. Well, exactly. And then, and then my response to you being, well, it's George Galloway. Most of the time you've seen him is on Channel 5. Yeah, it's on that. What's that? It's uh, like a talk show that's on in the morning on Channel oh, 5. Is it the right stuff? The right, the right stuff. stuff. Yeah. And this is the problem with it. It does feel... And First of all, George Galloway introduces this film making no bones whatsoever about the fact that he doesn't think Tony Blair should be allowed to walk the streets of any country in the world. As far as he is concerned, from minute one of this documentary, this man should be in prison. Yeah, he is a war criminal. He is a war criminal, he should be in prison, that's his stance, and boy does he bring it up as often as humanly possible. To the extent that I think at one point he's offered a cup of tea and replies, yes, but Blair should be in prison. And, and there are these moments through and through in which, first of all, everybody involved has is on the same side of this documentary. There's no, no attempt at objectivity in it. Mm. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm, not, I'm not putting my own political beliefs in there whatsoever, you know, whether or not you believe Tony Blair is you know, guilty of this, that and the other. The problem is the documentary's opinion is very, very specific, yeah. and it is it, they they make no bones about it. Their position is such that they have a viewpoint. They're going to make this argument regardless. Yeah. This is not a you, documentary. You have to agree with them. You have That's to. That's what it says. It's yeah. not a documentary. It's a visual indictment. It's an mm-hmm. audiovisual indictment over the course of ninety minutes, uh, with a little bit of vanity thrown in for good measure. I mean, there's. there's no shortage of moments in which uh, George Galloway does attempt to ca- sort of canonize, what do you call it? Uh, canonize himself as <laughs> this great Saint Galloway. man of the people. Yeah, and, there's, there's, a, there's a clip where he says that um, and me and myself in the mid, mid to late 90s, yes. I, I took a, a big uh, red London bus to Iraq and he goes and he sees that loads of like kids yeah, that have like, been injured and what? stuff. And, but you don't need that. It's when he's being carted away by police, flicking the peace sign. Like, yeah, yeah, I bet you contractually requested that that was included. Uh, the problem is, you never quite escape the vanity of it and the fact that it feels as one-sided as it does. And it, the problem is, you're left feeling somewhat uncomfortable by the whole thing, not because it's been effective in any way, but because it exists to begin with. That it does feel like—I mean, also the timing of it is very strange. It does feel like this has been finished for a good long while and was rushed out as soon as the Chilcot inquiry results were announced. Mm. And that's the problem too. Why does the documentary exist? That's that's the question. What 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 purpose does the documentary serve? There's no new information gained from it. At all. I don't think anyone's no, I think learning it, anything it from this. No, it is a collation of uh, information that's been taken for really the last kind of ten years, mm. but more succinctly the last two years, because that's really when it's kind of boiled down. That's when he was he was fired as being the BM boy, mm. and that's when uh, it's hit the fan, really, <laughs> to put, <laughs> it, to put it in a more crass way. I mean, there are. I mean, obviously, there's some there's some some financial figures that I wasn't quite aware of. I mean, for one thing, no, Tony yeah, Blair that's makes a lot more money than I expected. That's what's opened my eyes up. The events there that it circulates around, you don't actually learn anything new from. Mm. It's, I say, very much a regurgitation. It's a collection of mm. events more than anything else. But you know all these events. You know all these stories. Yeah. There's no political science students that are going to watch this no. and, be, and have their eyes open. It just open sort of reaffirms way. things that I already knew and about the quote-unquote special relationship mm. that was extended from the Clinton years, which you don't hear anything yes, about. Yes, you notice that that is swept under the rug. Yeah, you don't see anything of like the more amicable nature. You just see the more subservient nature that he has to George Bush. And there's mm. loads of pictures of... Well, there's loads of cartoons of George, of, of, <laughs> George of, Bush of, and Tony Blair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Blair as like a poodle 
underneath George Bush and stuff. And there are there are yeah. weird things as well. I mean, for instance, the uh, the famous uh, conversation and the eventual betrayal between uh, Tony Blair and what's called Gordon Brown, for instance. Yeah, is I mean, it's briefly acknowledged, but you start thinking if you really wanted to, you know, destroy the image of Tony Blair. And you're just going to regurgitate things that we already knew. Why was that one not included? Mm. It's like they had a very, very specific remit that they just don't want to make clear. And the problem is that it is as unclear as it is shows in just how vicious it is as well. I mean, the number of people who go through this film say, well, if I saw him, I'd have to arrest him. And at one point, George Galloway says it to the to one yeah. specific his, person. Uh, his sister-in-law. His, his sister-in-law says and then it, his yeah. sister-in-law repeats the statement as well. You're like... Okay, not really. No, okay, I'm just not going to dwell on that. Yeah. But uh, as I say, it's it's entertaining enough, I suppose. But it is kind of unsettling, mm. just in terms of the fact that it does feel like a PR slander campaign. That's that's the problem with it. Absolutely, it feels like you're watching a 90 minute slander campaign. And frankly, I would rather see a serious. I'd rather see an Alex Gibney documentary on the subject. Yeah. You give Alex Gibney this subject to do. I guarantee you the results you get are a lot more insightful, a mm. lot more eye-opening. And the problem is... This, not, not as biased. Not as biased. This just feels like the George Galloway show. And frankly, I'd rather he'd spent the money on a six-part George Galloway Presents series and done a variety <laughs> of different subjects. Largely, George Galloway Presents Hats. Yes. You know, yeah. just I feel like, here's George Galloway talking about uh, the Rwandan genocide with a hat. And, <laughs> Today, I'm wearing a fez. <laughs> exactly. It's Friday. That's a fedora day. That would pretty much be a George Galloway documentary yeah. to me. Uh, but it's right, it didn't improve my opinion of George Galloway whatsoever. I mean, he's he might be the one person in the British media I dislike only marginally more than Hardeep Singh Kohli. But uh, I, I have a personal thing against Hardeep Singh Kohli. Okay. I, I, I was at a panel he presented once. and was... <clears throat> Did he say something about your mum? No, he just seemed... No, he offended people. Um, he, def- he offended the relatives of people who had been uh, taken into sex trafficking. How can he defend that? Because he wanted to crack jokes about the Daily Mail instead. And well, he sounds like a pleb. Yep. yep. So, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> we still got some film news to finish. We got um, a couple of pieces. We didn't we? talk about uh, the Rob Reiner Iraq War uh, movie. You know, shock and awe. Yeah, we didn't talk about. Do you know what? Just before I got here, I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast, talking to uh, to Rob Reiner. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting one. Mm. So it's called Shock and Awe. It's from the writer of LBJ, which is yet to be released. Mm. And it's going to star, well, it was already going to star James Marsden, James Marsden and uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. It's now also going to star Alec Baldwin, Mila Jovovich and Tommy Lee Jones. So that's an excellent cast. That's an excellent cast. I yeah. can get on board with that. Maybe not Mila Jovovich. You but... never see her do these kind of roles, do you? These no, kind of this is the thing. I'm wondering. Uh, I think she might bring it. She might bring it. Yeah. We don't know. But I mean, let's be honest. She's the star of the only successful video game movie franchise. That, that, Isn't that insane? That is. That really that. is. Also, Until Paul W.S. Anderson's franchise. Yeah. Well, yeah. True. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, Gary Marshall. Oh, oh yeah, Gary Marshall, because he passed away this morning, wasn't he? He was this morning, yeah. I didn't know he was 81 years old. He was, he was still working, he released, um, well, uh, Mother's Mother's Day Day, recently, yes. Although you you texted me with the news this morning saying, oh my god, now we're never going to get that that blaxploitation (laughs) comedy, uh, Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Which is very true, we're never going to get that. Which is a shame, yeah. It is. I mean... Chadwick Boseman needs the work, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a Marvel Anthony franchise. Anthony Mackie needs that cameo. <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, you, you look back Morris at his... Chestnut needs his his time in the sun. That's what that is. All right, maybe Morris Chestnut needs some work. 
<laughs> Boris just Michael Ely needs another comedy. That's how many, what how many black actors can you name? Uh, Michael Ely. Okay, do, do you want to play this game? I don't know if we've got time. All right, Romany Malko. Romany right. Malko. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm just going for, can we go for comedies. We'll go for comedies. We'll go for yeah. comedies. So Romany Malko. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Hart. Yeah. I realise we have just gone through the cast of Think Like a Man. Here. Yeah, I know we have. Yeah. Um, okay, Tyrese. I think, I think you're missing one. Who am I missing from from that from Think Like a Man? Oh, there's the guy whose name I can never remember. Uh, there is one I can't remember. Uh, Tyrese. Tay Diggs. I hope you are. Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs. Go Tay- oh, he's Best Man's Holiday. Oh, that's, right. that's his his comedic that's franchise. His uh, also starring Morris Chestnut, funnily enough. Mm. Um, let's see. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I've said Tyrese, haven't I? Okay, I'm just gonna say Tyrese again because he's that important to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because he will be. He will be. Uh, he will be. Green he Lantern. Will. He yeah. will. So we we'll go. We go with the. Uh, we've got Anthony Mackie. We've got uh, uh, Don Cheadle. We'll put Don Cheadle in there. You can do a comedy. Got Don Cheadle. Huh? Yeah, got Don yeah. Cheadle. You'll have Don Cheadle. Uh, will Smith used to do comedies once upon a time. Uh, well, he did After Earth. That counts. He did After that Earth. Counts. That was truly hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Martin Lawrence. Let's put him in for good measure. Yep. Uh, let's see. Who can could I get now? Oh, let's put Chris Rock and Chris Tucker in there because you need the Chris's. You need the Chris's. You need yeah. the Chris's. We're still talking about just comedies, aren't we? We're still talking about just comedies. We need the Chris's. Um, I'm trying to think who else now. I'm running to the end of my list very quickly. <laughs> who do I follow on Twitter? I can't remember. Um, oh, man. Uh, so basically, the, the Oscars I'm just out. needs to listen to this podcast. Yeah, they do. They do. Oh, John yeah. Boyega. Can we call John Boyega comedic actor? He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy, but he's not done a comedy. He's not done a... I don't know. Attack the Block is kind of comedy, isn't it? He's not funny in it, though. <laughs> you say that. I thought it was hilarious in it. Um... He's not really... He's, <laughs> he's basically John John uh, John McClane, but a, a ute. A ute. A yeah, a ute John McClane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is that. Oh man, I can't name any more young black comic actors. That's that's depressing to me. It's quite a. Few. He, he did all right. He did, he did all okay, right. man. Okay. So yeah, we've. Uh, what, what was the point? Why were we talking about? We that were talking about Gary Marshall. Possibly. Gary Marshall. Sorry. <laughs> how did you, how did we get from that to there? Okay, so Gary Marshall's passed away. He directed Pretty Woman. He directed uh, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve for some reason that we don't know. He also directed Runaway Bride, didn't he? In ninety eight, he did, which reunited. Uh, the Pretty Woman duo of Julia Roberts Richard and Richard Gere. Gere. He uh, created Morgan Mendy and Happy Days. He did, didn't he? I always yeah. forget that. But uh, well, I don't. I forget that he created Happy Days. Otherwise, I would remember that he created Morgan yeah. Mendy. I, well, I always forget. The, oh yeah, there's was the episode where Mork shows up in in, in Happy Days. That's how they set up that franchise. Yeah, he. Um, uh, Joni loves Charlie as well, which didn't last very long. Didn't last very long. Didn't they set up Charles in Charge that way as well? I think so. Yeah, Maybe Charles in Charge. Oh, so they were creating like the first Danny. interconnected universe. Yes, yes, the first yeah. cinematic universe. Did was... you see uh, Scott Bayo um, at the Republican convention? I, I've seen a picture of it. I don't know what the content was. It's but, just, uh... why? Why was he there? Why, Charles? Why? Scott Bayo Wasn't Scott Bayo in Diagnosis Murder at one stage? Possibly. Sure. I think I think he's the first psychic. In... But it's weird. There is a point in time of... Uh, there's a, a certain run of Diagnosis Murder that my other half won't watch. Right. She prefers it when Charlie Schlatter takes over in the later seasons. I think this right. is, yeah, this is actually a thing. Turns one, out one for there is a dividing point in diagnosis murder in our house. Right, it all just kind of blends into one because I had yeah. to watch it so frequently at my grand's house because she, yeah, is a big fan of well, Dick, Dick Van Dyke, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. who doesn't love a bit of Dick Van Dyke? <laughs> who doesn't love a bit of Dick Van Dyke? <laughs> so uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, uh, Ghostbusters <clears throat> has been denied a Chinese release. Yes, um, it has. Do you know that this has serious consequences as well? 
that no why in terms of the box office yes so right so it would presumably have made most of its money in China it seems yeah now because it's been denied the Chinese release it's not going to make that here's where it gets interesting because of the budget of the film the marketing cost of the film Ghostbusters has to make 300 million to break even right interestingly enough it might not do that because if it's only got non-Chinese territories it's not going to happen it may well not make 300 million, which means yeah. that making an actual franchise out of it means really rolling a financial dice. Well, the chairman has already said that they are, hmm. but I don't know why he's so boldly and brashly said that. Uh, I dom- do. Well, domestically, they didn't open a number one. No. Nope. Secret Life of Pets is still yep. there. Um, they only did 50 million, which is it's solid. It's good. But it's for, good. It's good, not but, great, is it? But yeah, exactly. It's good, not great. Hmm. Yeah. And Ghostbusters, Domestic. given the controversy around it, is not necessarily going to have legs. Mm. But uh, incidentally, um, my theory as to the brash arrogance behind it. Do you know who that chairman is? No, I do not. That chairman is none other than Mr. Thomas Rothman. And why is he a, no- a, a person of note then? A person of note because Tom Rothman was once the head of Fox. More importantly, Tom Rothman was the head of Fox who turned round to fans upon the release of X-Men The Last Stand and revealed, I don't give a shit what the fans think. So, you know, the idea that he might be somewhat arrogant regarding the business uh, wealth of the Ghostbusters franchise, not particularly shocking. No. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, let's see what else we got. Um, oh, remember The Beguiled? We talked about The Beguiled a we while We did, back. a little bit, yeah. Well, that was uh, going to be the uh, the remake of the uh, the old Clint Eastwood movie. Mm. It was the Civil War novel. Yeah. The Civil War set story in which he was an injured uh, soldier who was taken in by an all-girls boarding school, effectively. Yeah. And his presence would, would cause ripples amongst the, the students and the teachers alike. Well, that film is now happening. Sophia uh, Coppola is putting it together. They have oh, now... really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sophia That's Coppola's cool. directing it. This is what she replaced The Little Mermaid with. Yeah. So, this is the interesting part. They've now cast... Our, our new Clint Eastwood. Who is? Have a guess. Who? Scott, Scott Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be brilliant if it was Scott Eastwood. No, it's Colin Farrell. They have cost Colin, cast Colin Farrell to play the new Clint Eastwood. Because when you're doing a remake, just yeah. get Colin Farrell. Just get Colin Farrell. That works out so well, as we've proven. Um, interestingly enough, the rest of the cast are starting to come together. It's going to oh, start yeah. Elle Fanning. I quite like her. Elle Fanning's one of the, one of the yeah. girls. Okay, is, she, is she Fanning from somewhere? But you, Sophia Coppola. Do you know I'm not sure? I can't remember if it was L or Dakota. I, I can't getting... remember offhand. Yeah. I only know L as the one from Super Eight and Neon Demon. Yeah. So, which I mean, admittedly, I'd rather forget Neon Demon as soon as humanly possible. But uh, so it's also going to star Nicole Kidman as oh, well really? and Kirsten Dunst. Interesting. So, yeah, because Sophia Coppola and Kirsten Dunst have a bit of a history, don't Marianne they? Get, they do, yeah. get some Schwarzman in there and. Guess what, Schwartzman? We can call it a day, man. Got a party. Yeah. yeah. We can call it a party, call it a day. <laughs> so that's that's really all I've got for, for news for the day. Oh, oh, hang on. There's uh, Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Have you heard about this one? Oh, has it been cancelled again? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Give it half an hour. Give it half yeah. an hour. It'll be cancelled. And it's done. <laughs> no, it's got two new cast members. Have you heard this one? No way. As of this morning, two new cast members, Mr. Defoe and Skarsgård. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So you've got Adam Driver and Michael Palin. Wait, as the which, which, uh, which Skarsgård? The good one, the older one. Ooh. 
Yeah. Okay. So Stellan and Willem are joining the cast. Yeah. So Willem Dafoe, Stellan Skarsgård, going to join the man, from, man who killed Don Quixote. Going to star, you know, Michael Palin, Adam Driver. So this, mm-hmm. if it's happening this time, if it's happening, it's, it's meant to start production this fall and air on Netflix next year. Mm. So I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I don't hedge my bets when it comes to this series. I don't. But who, who can ever rely on anything to do with this film? You just you wouldn't put money on it, would you? You wouldn't, not anymore. I just it is it is it's it's I'll believe it when I see it. That's yeah. the problem, and it's it's like you know all those years when we Tron Two is totally happening. Yeah, of course it is. <sighs> believe it. Ghostbusters Three. I believe it when I see it. Well, that that nicely wraps it up, then, it. I suppose. On which note, here it is your moment of cage. I thought you were dead. I'm not dead. I'm me. <laughs> 